Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. The Chips and Science Act of 2022 was enacted by the U.S. Congress earlier this year and signed into law by President Biden in August of 2022. Huge implications for the semiconductor industry, for technology in general, and important to us here on the Tech Ed Podcast, huge implications for education and STEM education to be specific at every level, K-12, technical college, community college, universities, research, and so on. So here to talk all about the act today on the Tech Ed Podcast is that legislation's co-sponsor in the United States Senate. And he comes to us in the form of Senator Todd Young from the great state of Indiana. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Matt, thanks for having me. So let's start with the CHIPS Act itself, the Chips and Science Act. It's a bill that has gone by many names. It's gone by the Endless Frontier Act. It's gone by the United States Innovation and Competition Act, all of which you co-sponsored in the United States Senate. So what are the key aspects of CHIPS? Well, Matt, there are really three pillars to the legislation. One is uh, investment in in the technologies that uh, we and so many others believe will shape our economic future and also uh, our future national security environment. The second pillar is uh, investing in some tech hubs around the country to to plant the seed corn for uh, economic growth and and innovation in the future across America's heartland, really. And then the third pillar involves incentives uh, to bring our semiconductor fabricators back to America's shores, knowing that we just went through a global pandemic and and there are looming uh, risks uh, to uh, many of the countries that that currently host uh, semiconductor fabrication, uh, military risks. Uh, think of of Taiwan and and uh, the threat that China presents. So uh, we need to have our own semiconductor fabrication capabilities, and we need incentives, uh, just as other countries are offering them, to bring that that manufacturing back home. Absolutely, bring it back home. One of the things that I've become accustomed to talking about is, you know, the the pandemic center is so very difficult for so many people the last several years. But for those of us that, that worked in manufacturing, I was 23 years in, in Midwest manufacturing. As you know, we had a plant in Indiana, not too far from, from where you uh, live and raise your family. And, and a huge advocate for, for manufacturing across America. If there's one silver lining in my mind of the pandemic, it's that the rest of America now realizes what a lot of us in manufacturing and in technology knew all along. And that is the fundamental value that the U.S. supply chain plays in in our overall economy. When we could get what we wanted, when we wanted it, at a price that we were willing to pay for it, kind of easy to take supply chain and manufacturing for granted. And now that that we no longer have that reality, at least in the short term, it really calls into play and and brings to the surface the importance of industries like the semiconductor industry. I want to get into that, that technology and the aspects of the the legislation in a little more detail. But before we do that, one of the things that was most interesting to me, uh, Senator, is that you co-sponsored this legislation in the U.S. Senate alongside Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. I'll be honest with you, those are not names that we often see on the same side of the same issue. And so it was really fascinating to me to see that level and spirit of bipartisanship, not just in the co-sponsorship, but in the overwhelming support for the bill in the U.S. Congress. How did you and Senator Schumer come together on this bill? 
Well, right. Uh, Matt, you're absolutely right. It's sort of a Felix and Oscar relationship. I'll let you choose who's Felix and who's Oscar. But, um, you know, like for me, a number of of, of, of good ideas up here. It, it was hatched in the Senate gym uh, during my morning workout. Uh, Senator Schumer and I have gotten to know one another fairly casually in that setting. You know, we'll talk baseball and some other topics. But I also came to learn that Senator Schumer has this hawkish streak uh, with respect to China. And he's really concerned uh, about how their major investments, multi-trillion dollar investments in, in core areas of technology like artificial intelligence, quantum computing, hypersonics, which uh, I'll say again, have not just economic implications, but national security implications, because these are the tech areas uh, that will help us fight and win wars in the future. So um, he and I both recognize the need for the United States of America to up our game in these areas through more uh, research investment and, and create an environment where private companies can take the research findings out of our, our universities and Department of Energy labs and, and create new dynamic economies that will not just serve our security interests, but also uh, private uh, economic interests. So it started with the research funding. Uh, we, we also recognize the vulnerabilities in our economy to uh, future disruptions of our semiconductor supply chain. So uh, we saw the need relatedly to uh, invest in that uh, in, in, in concert with the other investments. All of them very, very important. We'll talk a little bit more about semiconductors here in a minute. And perhaps a related question, you know, I, I love your background. I understand that uh, that you grew up uh, providing janitorial services to your to your family's business, which is awesome. You sit on, on several uh, committees in the United States Senate, but among them, the uh, Committee on Science and Transportation, and also that of small business and entrepreneurship. So I think a lot of us can see, you know, large companies like Intel, for example, on the semiconductor side, how the legislation and investment may benefit a company like that. But let's speak for a moment on kind of the small to mid-sized businesses here in the United States. How does this legislation affect them? Well, in multiple ways, uh, some of them direct, mad, others indirect. Um, you know, it's it's going to be our small entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors who will have new opportunities uh, to uh, play uh, an exciting role in our economy as as we plant the seeds of those companies through research investments in our universities. I mean, the findings that uh, spin out of our, our university laboratories and, and come from the best minds who work at those universities will no doubt bring venture capitalists uh, into the university environment. Uh, they'll, they'll figure out what sort of things might be, uh, uh, you know, the stuff of, of commercial uh, uh, uses and and uh, then the venture uh, venture capitalists will partner with the entrepreneurs and and uh, new businesses will be created in places like Wisconsin where you are or, or Indiana and uh, that's that's really exciting for those of us who have uh, oftentimes wrung our hands at at uh, the venture capital uh, fixation seemingly on California and New York and Massachusetts but they they've overlooked much of the talent we've had so as I like to say, this will give the small business people and mid-sized business people of uh, the heartland an opportunity to really suit up, not just to improve their material circumstances of, of their communities and their families, but also uh, to help uh, our economy prevail, our military uh, succeed, and ultimately ensure that our values win this great competition in the, in the 
uh, first century against the Chinese Communist Party. I guess there's another sort of value proposition I would offer, and it's it's a little maybe more accessible and, and less lofty to some people, but I think it's great, which is when these chip manufacturers locate uh, $20 million or $20 billion investment in Ohio recently, Intel. We just had Skywater announce a $1.8 billion investment in Indiana. I mean, there are going to be a lot of these multi-billion dollar investments. Well, who's going to provide the HVAC uh, equipment uh, to these new fabs? Well, it, 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 uh, it might be a business like my dad's uh, business used to be. They supply that sort of material. So there's all sorts of second and third order effects. And, and not only will you have 750 jobs created in West Lafayette, Indiana from a new fab, you'll have uh, thousands of, of uh, jobs, uh, you know, uh, they're created indirectly from the wealth that's generated. Absolutely. We talk about backward linkages and forward linkages in manufacturing, the backward ones being that uh, you know companies like Intel as an example, and, and I was a supplier to companies like that for a long time in manufacturing. You know, People forget that for every Intel, there's another 500 small to mid-sized companies that are supplying them in so many ways. In our case, it was contract manufacturing, but the backward linkages, these companies buy insurance, they're educating their, their employees and their, their employees' children. And then we have the forward linkages, right? So so all of those employees that, by the way, in the world of manufacturing make significantly more than the average non-farm payroll job here in the United States, those individuals aren't just keeping that money, they're spending it as well, right? So they're spending it forward in, in so many different areas. Circulating it around the economy, uh, paying for haircuts and in landscaping services and all the things that frankly aren't high tech, but are essential. Uh, those non-tradable services. So uh, all boats will rise uh, when you start to uh, see this sort of economic uh, activity generated. A rising tide indeed lifts all ships, and it lifts it into really interesting technologies as well. You know, Senator, we were at the International Manufacturing Technology Show broadcasting live on YouTube earlier this year. 24 sessions we did at that trade show, largest industrial trade show in the Western Hemisphere. And all of our guests were talking about just these incredible new technologies that are coming into not just manufacturing, but uh, really around the world and around the globe in every sector and every space in our economy. You've mentioned a couple of them already, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, certainly semiconductors, 6G advanced technology yes. and advanced communication. We're talking a lot about 5G, but 6G is not far behind it. Nanotechnology, advanced energy. So as, as you and Senator Schumer initially and as the Congress in general looked at emerging technologies, how did you decide on which ones were important and which ones we needed to focus on? A lot of of, of cross-cutting efforts. So we read a lot. Uh, my members of my staff read quite a bit. Uh, we drew on previous studies from uh, the Department of Commerce, our, our Department of Defense. Uh, I, of course, had a lot of conversations with technologists, business leaders, and uh, former national security top officials uh, alike. And, and frankly, we also looked to see what our adversaries are, are investing in. And, and there was a remarkable, and I guess to be expected, overlap between their areas of, of investment and what we believed uh, the United States should be uh, investing in. So uh, we tried to narrow the scope of uh, uh, and take risk out of these strategic bets by doing everything we could to really uh, think through what technologies uh, were, were going to shape the future and, and what were needed uh, from our warfighters. Of course, you know, in the end, you were admittedly making some strategic bets here. 
Some may uh, go more right than others, but when you're making these collective investments on behalf of the whole people, as opposed to firm-generated or customer-generated demand uh, for investments, it's the nature of things. Same thing our military has been doing for years as they consider what ships to invest in, for example. Absolutely. You know, as we uh, just recently, the last couple of weeks, we had former space shuttle astronaut Don Thomas on with us on the Tech Ed podcast and really talking about, in that sense, all of the benefits that investment in NASA and space exploration have in the overall economy. It strikes me that this is kind of the same thing, right? Is that even, you know, even if we're close on these technologies, the research that we're going to talk about here in a minute, the education, the investments in new plants, new infrastructure, and so on to support these technologies are going to have waves throughout the economy. And it sounds like you're seeing it exactly the same way. That's right. That's right. And, and, and we perceive there to be such outsized opportunities from these federal investments that uh, you can afford to have a, a couple of areas uh, not take off, uh, knowing that you're going to make for up for it uh, in, in other tech areas within your portfolio. So and history bears this out. Uh, this is what uh, federally funded innovation uh you know, uh, uh, accomplishes are these outsized investments in in some areas. You know, if you think about kind of the the generation or two that that came behind us, uh, the times we're living in now, in many cases, they they really haven't had to live through or think about. A lot of them, you know, came of age after the Cold War and during a time of relative peace and tranquility, really around the globe. And as we've seen over the course of the last year, we we don't necessarily live in that world anymore what with, with what's going on in the in Ukraine and with Russia and and you mentioned already the the risk in in Taiwan and in what what China's goals are in that particular part of the part of the world so i want to focus a little bit more deeply on the whole national security aspect mm-hmm. of chips you've touched on it a couple times already but how specifically will the bill affect and improve our national security position well it's going to be essential i mean i the 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 Key technology uh, areas uh, of the future, artificial intelligence, which will be essential to uh, uh, discern what is happening in a a complicated uh, uh, military environment uh, and and whoever can uh, say what is happening uh, and and, uh, determine what steps, uh, you know, based on your algorithms uh, need to be uh, taken. Uh, should should win on the battlefield. Of course, all of that requires a high level of, of computer processing power, which the field of quantum computing can help with. Moreover, there are certain secrets that will need to be kept, both commercial and national security, uh, as we head more deeply into the 21st century. All of that is dependent upon uh, having very uh, high uh, processing power with your computers so that uh, the enemy can't break your codes. Uh, that, too, is quantum computing. Computing, uh, hypersonic weaponry. Uh, it can outmaneuver our surface-to-air uh, radar systems, which are designed to to uh, detect uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, carrying uh, nuclear weapons, so that they can evade those defenses. So, really, um, we we have not yet uh, come up with the sort of, of of weapons and defense technology that uh, are are required to hopefully avoid. But if necessary, to fight and, and win uh, these sorts of battles. In fact, to me, it's it's pretty sobering that uh, the Chinese and the Russians uh, have have been outpacing us as it relates to hypersonic technology. Um, so um, we have enough time. We have enough time to make up lost ground. We have enough time to stay ahead in most of these technology areas. And um, these investments will be directly made 
through our universities and DOE labs and to a lesser extent, but uh, importantly, at the Department of Defense. Of course, all these findings will then uh, be utilized by our defense establishment, the intelligence agencies, military, uh, Department of Commerce, uh, to uh, keep us safe and secure and, and protect our very way of life. I guess one last thing I'd, I'd really like to emphasize, Matt, is, is we've created mechanisms in this legislation to, to crowd in foreign talent and treasure so that our closest allies can also uh, help us develop these technologies, work with us to uh, come up with the best breakthroughs and, and ensure we stay uh, in, in the driver's seat uh, moving forward. And uh, uh, we've, we've uh, importantly clamped down on research security at the university level so that the uh, Chinese in particular don't, don't steal uh, all of our intellectual property. Well, you certainly speak eloquently about the the whole issue of national security yourself and a graduate of Annapolis, right, of the Naval Academy. Graduate of Annapolis and and then uh, uh, five years active duties in, in the Marine Corps. I was uh, an intelligence officer working with drones, autonomous vehicles, of all things, another area of technology in which we are investing. And, and, um, and then uh, as I got out, I uh, spent a little time in recruiting. So spent some time thinking about talent management in talent acquisition. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Which is a which is a huge topic for us here at the Tech Ed Podcast, though, the yes. whole idea of not just talent management and, and building talent, but also in terms of how we create that next generation of, of STEM talent for technical careers, the types of careers and the companies that, that we're actually talking about today. And I want to turn our discussion to that topic at this point in time. Senator, in our audience, as you can imagine, includes a lot of our nation's top technical educators, whether that's a K-12 teacher in a, in a STEM school or in a technical education program, an instructor, or an administrator, a leader at a technical or community college. Uh, it could be a university provost or chancellor doing both undergraduate or, or research. And so I want to I talk a little bit about that. Will the act better position us to deliver learning at those levels of education as well? And if so, how? Well, it will. And, and, and we not only want to bring everyone along, it's essential uh, that our country is firing in all cylinders uh, uh, to ensure that uh, our economy grows uh, to the ma maximum extent possible, uh, that we're identifying all the breakthroughs we can and making them uh, in the United States wherever possible. Uh, it's, it's frankly, it's essential to our, our civic fabric that everyone feels like they're part of this grand project uh, in, in democracy and in capitalism. And um, so we enable this through the legislation, through a, a major investment in um, everything from the associates level to postdoctoral level. As, as my governor, I think, uh, said with a, a memorable phrase, uh, recently, from GED to PhD, uh, we want all people to be able to participate in this dynamic tech economy. Governor Eric Holcomb, is that right? That's right. That's right. I actually had an opportunity to meet him about two years ago at the at the state capitol in Indiana. So that's that's very, very well put. And so we talk about the GED EDN, so folks that are just leaving leaving high school, maybe going direct to workforce, maybe going to a community or technical college. Talk a little bit more about the other end of that spectrum, Senator, the, the research spectrum, how important that aspect is, and then how the legislation will affect university research. Well, most people who per per pursue PhDs aren't primarily uh, and uh, they're not 
predominantly uh, pursuing that field of study because they're they're chasing a buck, right? They're curious people, and they have a thirst for knowledge, and and uh, they would like to make some breakthroughs uh, in in their scientific areas of of inquiry and specialization. So, the notion that they can get more grant funding and they won't be toiling in the wilderness without pursuing meaningful projects for them is, is really enticing. So uh, that's one thing that will uh, be a pull factor, but we also offer a, a bit of a, a uh, an incentive in actual PhD funding in some of these discrete areas. Uh, those who want to pursue quantum physics, which leads to uh, you know breakthroughs in quantum mechanics, in uh, quantum computing, for example, uh, there will be some additional funding offered for those uh, individuals. And for those of an entrepreneurial bent that would like to work outside of a, a university setting, uh, they're going to be needed in, in some of these uh, high growth potential, uh, high technology companies that, uh, that we would like to be started. So uh, we provide some funding to uh, ensure that those companies uh, we'll have the resources to mature early technologies and get them over what we call the valley of, of death. And uh, we also provide some workforce incentives to those high growth potential companies. So we're really trying to create an accommodating um, environment uh, so that uh, more people enter the field, more findings spin out of the university and Department of Energy uh, and, and DOD laboratory environment. And then we have uh, more high growth potential companies that are started and survive, uh, as, uh, you know, into year two, three, four, and five. Plenty of reason for optimism, thanks to the Chips and Science Act of 2022. Indiana Senator Todd Young is our guest on the Tech Ed Podcast. Senator, we're going to close with one final question for you. It's a question that we love to ask our guests here on the Tech Ed Podcast. Really, really good insights that we get week in and week out. And that is if you had one piece of advice for a high school sophomore, what would that advice be? You know, frankly, it's the same advice I, I give to my own children. Uh, I have high school kids and, and some in uh, middle school and, and frankly, even, even a lot of adults and, and, and younger kids as well. It's, it's find something you're passionate uh, about. Uh, it can be a STEM field. It can, it can frankly uh, be anything. And then find a, a way to serve to serve others. It'll bring a, a lot of meaning uh, to your own life. It, of course, benefits uh, others. And um, I think uh, you can't go wrong. You're going to lead a life of, of purpose and, uh, uh, and, and uh, uh, contribute to all of our progress if uh, you sort of follow that lodestar of service paired with whatever your work is. Find something you're passionate about. Find a way to serve. Senator Todd Young has certainly found a way to do that in so many ways, and especially recently through your leadership on the Chips and Science Act, which is going to have such a positive impact on our overall economy, on technological advancement here in the United States, and on STEM and technical education. Thank you so much for being with us. Matt, thanks for having me. This has been great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.